answer, we thought we'd show him how it is done. Of course, Dick was delighted, and so they all followed the little steam fairies who flew ahead until they came to a track in a station where they stopped and waited. Then suddenly there was a loud whistle, and a choo, 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 and along came a little engine no higher than the children's heads, drawing a long string of cars, and out of the cab window leaned the engineer. Rose and Dick wondered if he could be Wisp's brother, or his cousin, or perhaps even his second cousin. He looked so much like him, except that he was dressed differently, as engineers always are. "'Hello, Pete,' called Wisp, when the train stopped. "'I thought we'd see you today. Business good?' "'Not very,' said Pete, wiping some grease spots off his face with a red bandana handkerchief and taking off his cap to cool his head. "'There's a fellow in Happy Town running a new kind of thingamajig called the Ocean Wave, and nearly all of the king's guides like yourself are taking the children there. I hardly looked for you today either, Wisp.' "'Well, to tell the truth,' replied Wisp, "'I did sort of—' think of going there but the children were dressed so thinly today i thought we might as well come here don't you think that is the reason trade is poor ocean waves sound so much cooler than mist land steam or railway these are my friends uh, rose and dick and jim dandy oh excuse me jim dandy isn't here rose and dick this is pete the engineer how do you do said pete hastily putting his cap on so he could take it off again when speaking to a lady how do you do said the children with real admiration. It was the first time in their lives they had ever spoken to an engineer, although they always thought they should like to. "'Oh, I'm feeling right hearty, thanks,' said Pete. "'How's yourselves? Would you like a ride?' "'Oh, yes, indeed. Thank you,' cried the children, for they had had always wanted a ride on a toy railroad. There was one just like this in Luna Park in the city where Mother had taken them once with dear little cars and all, but Mother was afraid something would happen and wouldn't let them ride on it. So, here was their chance. But I forgot to tell you about what the fairies were doing all this time. As soon as the engine stopped, Pete had pushed a little button which opened something on the engine and out flew hundreds of little steam fairies just like the ones who had gone to meet them. And when he blew the whistle, some more steam fairies came out of the top. All the time Pete was talking to Wisp and the children, The steam fairies were rushing in and out of that engine, and really the children were so interested watching them they could hardly talk to Pete. Really they wished so many interesting things wouldn't all happen at once. Wisp had noticed this and now spoke up. "'Say, Pete, before they get on, show your passengers how the engine runs, won't you? Just go slowly up and down the track a little while so they can see.' "'Sure,' said Pete, pulling on his leather gloves again. Anything to be obliging, especially when trade is dull. So he went toot-toot on the whistle and started the engine very slowly. Then suddenly a queer thing happened. Either the children's eyes changed so they could see through iron, or that engine changed into glass. But anyhow, they could see quite plainly everything that went on inside. And what do you think? The engine was full of steam fairies working with all their might. There was a fire and some water, of course, for as Wisp said, steam fairies can't work unless they are warm. But everywhere they looked, there were fairies pushing this, and turning that, and pressing on something else, until the things inside that worked the wheels were going for dear life. The harder the fairies worked, the faster the wheels went round. "'Oh!' 
Oh! Oh! cried the children with delight. What a funny engine! Not at all funny, said Wisp. They're all that way. But in spite of his manner, he was secretly pleased at the children's joy. Now then, want a ride? They did, so Pete stopped the train, and they all got on one of the little cars. Where do you want to go? asked Pete obligingly. Let's see, said Wisp, but while he was thinking, Rose had spied a big black kettle sitting all alone on the platform with a queer-looking cap on which covered him almost entirely. The kettle looked very cross and unhappy, and Rose called out, What's the matter? But the kettle didn't answer. Pete, though, spoke up and explained, That's the watched pot you've read about, that never boils. Nobody likes him here, and he's always in disgrace because he is so disobliging. The steam fairies dislike him so much they put a dunce cap on him, and set him there for all the travelers to see. Poor Pot, said Rose, for she couldn't help being sorry for him. By this time Wisp had decided on the places they would visit, but said it was getting late, and they couldn't make too many stops. Stop at Winterville and Rain Town and Dewport, please, he said. That will do for today. Winterville was the first stop, and when they got off, a whole flock of fairies flew past carrying white leaves and flowers and ferns, such as the children had seen growing when they first arrived in Mistland. "'What are they doing?' asked Dick. "'They are winter fairies,' said Wisp. "'It's their work to gather ferns and leaves and store them away here until winter comes to the earth and Jack Frost kills all the world flowers with his icy breath. Then these little winter fairies fly down with these mist flowers and paste them onto the children's windows when they are asleep. When the children wake up, they are surprised at the pretty pictures. And the winter fairies sit on the bare tree branches, too, and make them shine all over like diamonds, so the children see them on their way to school and clap their hands and cry, Oh, look at the pretty frost! When all the time is the pretty little winter fairy shivering out there in the cold just to make them happy. That's why the fairies like heat. They can't fly up here again until the hot sun warms them. Then they fly straight up the sunbeams into the sky. How pretty, cried Rose. Do they make snow, too? Yes, in a way they do, answered Wisp thoughtfully. When the fairies up here think the earth needs a snowstorm to cover the roots of growing things to protect them from bitter winter winds, they gather up great armfuls of white mist from the mist hills here and fly down with it through the air. The mist gets cold on the way down and turns into snow. But we must hurry along now if we want to go to the other places. So they returned to the train where Pete was waiting, and the little engine started off right away for another station. Dewport, he called soon, and when the train stopped again, they all got off. This is where the Dew Fairies live, said Wisp, and they are too busy to talk to us now, so we must not disturb them. This is their busiest time of year, you know. And, sure enough, the little fairies were busy, but you'll never guess what they were doing. They were mending, hammering and soldering and painting and gluing tiny green watering pots, filling them with water, and setting them in rows all ready for sundown when they should be needed. Then the fairies would fly down to the hot, dry earth with them and sprinkle the poor flowers and grass and even people and animals to cool them off and refresh them for the next day's work. The children hated to leave such an interesting place, but Wisp had already started back to the station, and they had to follow. 
At Raintown they saw the rain fairies all dressed in rubber coats and filling great buckets with water from a cloud. When the earth needed a shower, they dumped them all over at once, and it took so much water, Wisp explained, they never stopped to sleep but worked night and day. "'Who tells the fairies what to do?' asked Dick. Wisp scratched his ear. "'Why, you see, the king of the wonderful land of Up has a helper called Mother Nature. She gives the little seeds lessons on growing, so I suppose she gives the fairies lessons, too. But I never was sure about it.' "'Well, that was all. Wisp said the time was up, and they would have to go back.' So Pete got the engine to the other end of the train, and away they went back to the starting place, where the poor pot with the dunce cap still sat dismally on the platform. And there was Jim Dandy, too, who looked as though he had been having an elegant time, for he was washing his face and looking all purry puss. And there, too, was something familiar sticking up out of the ground. Can you guess what it was? The top branches of their dear apple tree, and the playhouse nestled snugly in its branches. "'Good-bye, children,' called Pete, after they had thanked him for taking them on such a pleasant journey, and got into the elevator. "'Good-bye, Pete. Come and see us and try our sliding board if you get tired of your train,' cried Dick. "'It's all slippery, and you go down so fast you—' But Pete was gone, and the train and car and mist fairies had faded away, and the little playhouse sank, sank, sank swiftly down to the orchard below. Then, bump!' Something must have happened then, for there they were, snuggled up on the ground beneath the apple tree with a dandy close beside them, and in their ears Wisp's voice very far away, saying, "Eeny weeny, tiny grow," backwards to cast off the magic spell and make them big again. End of chapter four, read by E. M. Griffin.